You are listening to the First Baptist Jinx podcast. To learn more about FBC Jinx, including our gathering times, visit us online at fbcjinx.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Cody Brumley. Well, hello, First Baptist Jinx. For those that I've not uh, met, those that may be new here, I'm Cody Brumley. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, several weeks ago, Rick Fry, our senior pastor, came to me and he said, okay, I, I want to do this series, A Purpose and the Passion of the Church, and I want you to preach for three weeks on the passion of the church. And I was like, challenge accepted, and I couldn't wait. So I go to the Bible, and first things first, let's make sure that there's not like a verse that says, the passion of the church is. And so I was like, okay, like, so I go through the Bible and I look for that. I don't find it, in case you were wondering, but I realized I was asking a similar question to one that Jesus was asked. We find in Matthew 22 and in Mark 12, Mark 12, a scribe says, what is the greatest commandment? Essentially, of all the things that we're told to do, of all the things that scripture points us to, what's the one thing that's more important than anything else? What's the one thing we've got to get right? There's only one. Or to say it like we're talking about, what should we be most passionate about? Jesus looks to him, says, the greatest commandment, it's this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Given the opportunity to say, here's the one thing that we got to get right, and I believe the one thing churches have to get right, Jesus says it's loving God. That's it. So if you want to know what's the passion of the church, we are passionate about loving God. We want the way that we gather and the way we live our lives to be expressions of love for God, that he would feel loved by the time we walk out of here today by the way we live our lives. And I think this is great, because if I imagine our church five years from now, and someone in the community says, hey, what, what do you know about that church? What do you know about First Baptist Jinx? My prayer is not that the response is going to be, oh yeah, well they've got this pastor, or oh well they've got this band, or they've got the, their programs, or the posts that they make on social media, or the events that they have. My prayer is that they would say, what do you know about that church? And say, oh, that church? Those people love God which speaks to a lot of what we do here that cultivates a love for God, but ultimately it talks about what happens in your life Monday through Saturday. That people would say, First Baptist Jinx, uh, they just prefer God. Like the way a friend of mine says it, they practice a preference for the things of God. They love him. And as Jesus sets this, that this should be the passion Thankfully, he's quoting from a book that tells us how this comes to be a reality. He's quoting from Deuteronomy. So if you open your Bibles to Deuteronomy, we're going to be primarily in 29 and 30, but we're going to start in chapter 6. It's the fifth book of the Bible, so head towards the front. And you might wonder, um, why is Cody preaching out of Deuteronomy when the theme is the church? Cody doesn't know when the church started. Um, I do. All right, I know it was an ax, but here's why. Because the church is actually a covenant people of God. That's who we are. The church is every individual who's entered into a covenant relationship with God. That makes you part of the church. That's why you can actually look at people who may attend church, and you're like, man, their their life doesn't look like this. It's because attending church doesn't actually, actually make you the church. The same way leading a church doesn't even make you part of the church. It's covenant people, which means... You can look at every other covenant in scripture and it describes the kind of relationship you're supposed to have with God. Because every covenant that is made throughout the Old Testament was just a foreshadowing, a description of the ultimate covenant made between God and sinners through the work of Jesus Christ. So even though these covenants are distinct, so there's the uh, uh, Abrahamic, I can't speak, covenant, 
Mosaic covenant, right? We see these covenants, they're distinct to those people at specific times. So as we studied Deuteronomy, this is a covenant for God's people coming out of the wilderness and into the promised land. So there's some distinct things about land and cattle and stuff like that. It's descriptive for us because we are still people invited into a covenant relationship with a covenant-keeping God, and the God who kept covenants then keeps covenants now. So it's very applicable to who we are. So that's why we're in Deuteronomy. In the way that this starts, Moses gives them a few chapters of like, hey, here's how we got here, and then here's the Ten Commandments, and then the rest of Deuteronomy is really a sermon series on the Ten Commandments. It's an exposition of this is what it looks like when the Ten Commandments are lived out in your life, and here's the consequence if they're not. And he starts with Deuteronomy 6, 4, loving God. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Get to verse 6, right after Right after this whole covenant, how do you live? Love God first. He then says, how? And these words I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them to your children. This tells us how love for God is cultivated. Loving God is the result of the word of God at home in your heart and and as the heart of your home. Loving God is a result of a heart that treasures the word of God and then talks about the word of God in their homes. And do you know why those are connected? Because whatever has your heart has your home. Whatever you love most, it is evident in your home. And the home is where our affections are trained. We are trained. I know we say that like we're led by our hearts, Emily Dickinson, right? Like the heart wants what the heart wants or else it does not care. That is true. But we can train our hearts what to want. It's been said that we become what we behold. And so when we look at the word of God over and over and over, it trains our hearts towards the things of God. And so what's most important is that the word of God has your heart, which I will tell you, that's why you're going to hear me say as your pastor that we are a word-driven church. That is who we are. It's what we will be. When you come to church on Sundays, I don't want you to leave knowing what I said about the word of God. I want you to leave knowing the word of God because that is what's going to change who you are. And so we want to organize our groups and our ministries and everything we do from birth through graduation through our prime timers around this because we don't worship the Bible, but we worship through the Bible. God reveals himself through this. We've got to know it. So we're a word-driven church unapologetically. Secondly, we're we're a family-equipping church. You're going to see that because it says what has your heart has your home. And if God's going to have your heart, he's got to be in your home Monday through Saturday. One time a week's not enough, and so we want to come alongside every single person in this church and say, this is how to prioritize and prefer the things of God in your regular everyday life, especially when you're parenting the next generation. So that's what you can expect from, from this church family. But it starts with a personal relationship, not with programs the church does, not with the way that we preach. It starts with you and your heart loving God. And that's where Deuteronomy 29 and 30 is such a great help. So I want you to flip to the back of Deuteronomy 29. Because what happens is even though this sermon starts with love God, right? That's what I want for you. Love God. And and it helps to think of it this way, by the way. Don't think of loving God as much as a commandment, as a condition. It's said it's the greatest commandment, but it's the greatest commandment because loving God is a condition by which all the other commandments become possible. If you don't get this right, nothing else matters. You, you won't walk in the joy of any of the rest of this work if it's not actually from a place of loving God. And so it has to start there. And you will be exhausted and miserable if you try to do all the commandments with a divided heart. And so Deuteronomy 29 to 30 shows us how to get to the place where God actually has our hearts. 
So they, uh, like I said, the people are about to enter into the promised land. Moses is given this, you know, all the, these sermons, and he finally calls them back together to say, hey, here's the words of the covenant. You've heard it. You're going to renew your relationship. Now, here's what's going to happen today. I'm going to talk through this, and there's going to be three decisions that can be made. On one hand, many of you in this room have already had a moment where you're like, I love God. I know I do. I've given him my heart. And what we're going to talk through, you're going to be able to retrace and go, I remember experiencing that. I remember seeing how God brought me to this point and introduced me to a relationship and revealed what was on my heart and changed my heart. And I get to walk in his blessings like I remember that. And it's going to renew your love for God today. You're going to be so thankful for how he loves you. Some of you are going to hear this, and it's going to be super uncomfortable because you're going to hear this, and you're going to start to realize, oh, this is what God's done. God brought me here, and God's calling me out, and God's bringing me to him, except I've got to give him my whole heart or nothing. And it's going to cause you to be really reflective about your life, and I want you to know that God is bringing you to a decision today. You're going to walk out of here either choosing I'm going to stay stubborn. I'm going to continue to do the things I want to do and play the games that I want to play, which is an option. Or you're going to realize out of God's great love, he brought you to this moment today to expose things in your heart today so he can give you a new heart and give you a new life and change the outcome of you and every generation to come behind you. So that's where we're headed. Start thinking now. All right. Deuteronomy 29. He gets everyone together, and I'm just going to kind of summarize this for time's sake today. First thing that happens, Moses is like, listen, look back. He goes, we saw God do some things in Egypt. We saw God do some things here. And then he gets to verse 4, and he says, we saw these things, but you didn't actually see them. Which sounds pretty contradictory. You just told me we saw stuff, now you tell me we can't see. But it sounds like Jesus in Matthew 13, 13, where he says, uh, having eyes you do not see, ears you do not hear, because you do not understand. It teaches us that spiritual blindness is a very real thing. You can be in proximity to the things of God and the people of God and the Bible that teaches you about God. You can show up to church every Sunday. Your families can bring you here. And you can be completely dead to the things of God. That's a possibility. And he says, that's where you're at. You went through all this, but you didn't see what God was doing. And Moses goes, today you're going to see it. And so he then says, hey, for the last 40 years, did you notice that your sandals didn't wear out and your clothes didn't wear out? and you didn't have to have strong drink or bread because actually I sustained you, then you got here and there's people in the land and I ran them out for you and we've already given some of that land as an inheritance over. God says, I made a promise and look back, I've kept my promise. I've been faithful. I brought you here and I need you to see it today. This is our message for you right now. Every single person, God brought you here. Look back on your life. It is good to pause and go, wait, wait, God, you kept me alive. You sustained me. You comforted me. You You got me to this point. And then the next section says why God brought you here. So God has got you here. Verses 10 through 14. Moses then says, hey, he brought you here. All of you, highest ranking to lowest ranking, the people who get the water and cut the wood to the highest officials, to the sons and the daughters and the wives, you name it. Why did God get you here? Verse 12, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God with which the Lord is God is making with you. What's the word there? Today. That word's gonna show up a lot. Today. God brought you to this moment in your life today because he wants to start a relationship with you. I remember in my soul the day that was. 
as a little kid realizing God brought me here because he wants me. And so that's what he's told. That's what he tells him. God brought you here. Why? Verse 13. So he can establish you today as his people and that he may be your God as he promised you. God brought you to this point because he wants a relationship with you. That's why he actually wants you. He wants your heart. He wants you to belong to him. It's what our students call the First Peter 2.10 moment. I once was not a people, now I'm a people. I once didn't have mercy, now I have mercy. That's what God's calling you to today. And so, God brought you this far. He brought you this far so we can have a relationship with you. But there's a problem. And that problem lies in our hearts. That is what verses 16 through the end of this chapter are about. Moses looks at him and goes, hey, you know what we've walked through. Because you, you've seen all the false gods of the world around you. You've seen all the things the world worships and all the things the world's about. And he gets to verse 18, and he says, you need to beware lest there be among you a man or a woman or a clan or a tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord your God. To be clear, that word heart in Hebrew is not the center of emotions, the seat of the emotions. That's a westernized thought. It is the center of the will. It is where our desires, the things we want, and our decisions, the things that we will ourselves to do, meet. It's why it says you should love the Lord your God with all your heart. It starts in the middle of who you are, exclusively and exhaustively loving God. Because if your desires and your will, you bend them towards God, that moves into your emotions, which moves into your intellect, your mind, which moves into your activity and the bodies and the way you live your life, which moves into the influence that you have and how people see you. And the totality of all those things woven together is what your soul is. The whole of who you are, from the deepest parts of you to the kind of people that uh, everyone knows you to be, that's your soul. So from the centermost to the outermost part of you, because before you can belong to God, you have to check your heart because guess what? It might be running after other things. It gets worse. <laughs> it's great news, right? It gets worse. The rest of 18, beware lest there be among you a root. So it's below the surface. Nobody else can see it, but you know. A root that is bearing poisonous and bitterness and bitter fruit. One, that whenever the person hears the words of this sworn covenant, you bless yourself, you comfort yourself in his heart saying, I shall be safe even though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. Moses says, God brought you here and he brought you here for a relationship with you. But if you're gonna enter in, you need to check your heart first. Because if you think, oh, you know what? I'm, I can be good enough with God. I'm, I'm probably enough of a Christian. I probably attend church enough. I probably talk it enough. If you think you can do that, but still have all the things the world has and want all the things the world wants and live exactly like everybody else except you give up a couple hours on Sunday, God says, I want more for you than that. This isn't mean, this is loving. We want a God who reveals our rebellious hearts that will lead us to bad places, and that's where it takes us. He goes, if you come to me half-hearted, God says, after I wholeheartedly propose to you, <laughs> I have been faithful, I chose you, I want you, choose me back. He says, if you come half-hearted, this will lead to the sweeping away of the moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord with his jealousy will smoke against that person, and the curses written in this book will come to be. That is not a mean God. He already told you what was going to happen. That's a loving God. He said, if you walk away from me, this is what you can expect. You know, choose me. And if, and if you're not convinced, by the way, if you see this and you're like, 
okay, yeah, Cody, I, I hear that, but I'm probably fine. There's a second layer that I actually think helps us. We find it in verse 22. It says, the next generation, your children who rise up after you, and then the foreigner who comes in from a far off land, somebody you don't even know, so those who know you best and someone who doesn't know you at all, they're going to show up and they're going to look at the landscape. Now, in a distinct way, they're saying they're going to look to the promised land and be like, what happened here? It is desolate. There's not even grass growing. It is fruitless. What happened? In verse 25, the people are going to say, oh, they, they left the covenant of God. God made a covenant with them, but they, they didn't actually keep their end. And so God sent them away. And that's what it means distinct for them. What it describes for us is something that's actually happening in our culture. It describes for us an incoming generation. And listen, I get it. Every generation looks at the next one and they're like, ugh, they're the worst. I, I, I know, I was the worst at one point. But research is showing us that actually this incoming generation, while they are the least churched, fewer of them are leaving the faith. They're just leaving the way that the faith has been practiced by some of the generation before them. Russell Moore had recently said, he was like, people aren't leaving the church because they can't believe the Bible. People are leaving the church because they don't believe the church believes the Bible. And in that sense, we have to look and go, okay, wait a second. If there's a generation that comes up and says, okay, I'm reading this, and it just looks different than what I'm seeing from you. I look at your life and, and the, the church at large, and we've been guilty it's the incoming generation who looks maybe at their parents or the leaders of churches or whoever it may be, and they go, your life of God plus sports, your life of God plus money, your life of God plus influence, your life of God plus power, your life of God plus politics, your life of God plus materialism, you know, it just, it doesn't look like this, and it's gotten you a pretty fruitless life. You just seem exhausted, joyless, and guilty, and I, this, it, that's not what's described by God. And I'll tell you, if you feel your faith being judged fruitless by the generation following you, do not be offended. Be grateful. Be grateful that God has drawn you to deeper relationship to say, hey, don't compromise with me. Give me all of you. This is the gift of an incoming generation, and we're seeing it right now. Praise, because I feel it in my heart, and I feel the move, and, and I, and I want to be very clear. This could be a moment that we go, oh, the church. The, yeah, the church, the church. Um, okay, listen, the local expression of the church, First Baptist Jinx, by the way, is not going to sit on the judgment seat. This is a building of brick and mortar, steel and stone. I've walked the building. There's no heartbeat. Like, it's, it'd be weird if there was. Institutions don't stand judgment before God. People do. And this text says, beware lest what? Your heart. This is a text about your heart. This is a text about my heart. I had to read this and let it read me and say, Cody, this isn't about a church or a denomination or a church at large or whatever it might be. God looks at every one of us and says, do I have your heart or not? Is your heart divided or not? Because listen, church, First Baptist Jinx, if our hearts are undivided, our church will be undivided in loving God. And that's when an onlooking world goes, they get it. And that's what we need. And we're responsible to it. Verse 29 of chapter 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, 
but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There's a lot of things that we are not responsible for, that we are not going to understand the way that God is working, what he's doing. We're not held accountable to that. We are held accountable to what his word is made clear, and if we let that word shape our hearts, and if we let that word shape our homes, we are responsible for that. And then, in a great turn of events, Moses says all this, and gets to chapter 30. And he says, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I've set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. Do you know what that means, church, verse 1? It means after all this teaching where he's like, listen, here's what God has for you. He loves you. He brought you here. He's worth your whole heart. You're going to lose. You're going to fail. Worst public speaker ever. Boo, Moses. Right? He, here's all these chapters about, oh, God is worth it. And then he's like, and guess what? You're going to blow it. You are going to experience the blessings and the curses. God's going to drive you away from here. Now, listen, I told you that this is the story of how we all come to Jesus. It starts, God's word shows up through a sermon, through other people, through other lives, and it reveals, wait a second, God's had a plan. God brought me to today. And then suddenly it reveals when you're there, hey, the reason he brought me here wasn't because he wants me to be a better person or wasn't because he's mad at me or angry at me. It's because he loves me and wants a relationship with me. And the only thing standing between me and a relationship with God is that my heart's been divided. That I want some of the things the world wants. I'm just not willing to give it up. But God now looks at me and says, you're right. And that's why your life is going where it is headed. And it is headed to a desolate, fruitless place. And he exposes, he brings us to our senses that way. And we at some point recognize when we're living this life that we're like, wait, the good in my life has been from God. The bad in my life has been a result of sin. And it's because I chase things besides God. I'm a sinner That's who I am. And there comes a moment that it says you call these things to mind from this place really far away from God. And when you call to mind, verse 2 says, and you return to the Lord your God. Repentance. There's a moment that you recognize, God, I'm over here. I need you. And you turn to God. It says you and your children. By the way, I love that. Dad's in this room. Mom's. I love that picture. You recognize that you've wandered away from God, that you're not where you're meant to be, and you say, I'm going and my family's going with me. We're going. And so you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and you obey his voice in all that I command you with all your heart, all your soul, centermost will, outermost expression, everything you are, you say, we're in. In verse three, what does God do when you turn? The Lord your God will restore when you turn to God, God turns to you. That is his covenant promise for all nations, for all times. When you realize where God has brought you and he wants a relationship with you and that you're not in it and you say, God, I'm gonna turn to you, he turns and he restores and he gives mercy and he brings you in. Verse four, if you're outcast or in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you. It doesn't matter. Listen, church, if you're sitting here today, you've recognized this in your past if you belong to Jesus, right? But, you might be feeling something different. You might be feeling, Cody, that's me. I've played the game. I've been around church. I've shown up. He actually doesn't have my heart. And as you're talking, I feel like I'm way over here. I'm a fake. I'm a fraud. And maybe even you're thinking like, I don't even know if I can tell people that. I'll let you know. Your spouse knows. Your kids know. Your small group probably knows. 
No, no one's being fooled because what we love, what has our hearts, has our homes. We know. God knows. And today, he says, it doesn't matter how far you've gone, you can turn. Right now. You can stop right now and you give me your heart. And what does he do with your heart when he gets it? Verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Chapter 30, verse 6. There it is. It's the most important thing. Loving God. You can't do it without the work of God in your life. You cannot muster up enough will to love God better. Well, I just need to go read my Bible more and talk more about my Bible in my home. I've got, you, you can't. It is not a matter of strength of will. It's a matter of surrendering your will. When you finally come to the place that you're like, I was half-hearted in this relationship. I thought I could enter into this covenant half-hearted and it's not working. And you finally realize, I've got nothing left but to give you everything, God wholehearted, and you hand it to him, and when he receives your heart, he does surgery on you. And let's call it what it is. It's, it's an odd description, circumcision of the heart. It's odd that circumcision is the covenant picture of the Old Testament. Like, let's just take a moment, will we? And, and I've got to credit Tim Keller for pointing this out in his exposition of Deuteronomy 30. But I mean, like, you know, you're in third grade, Sunday school, and you're like, teacher, what is circumcision? And your teacher's like, there's a lot of great questions about the Bible. Let's hear another one. <laughs> right? Like that, that's what happens. And then somewhere along the way, you're like in high school and you're in like class and you're like, what is that? And someone goes, and they tell you and you go, oh, okay. what? You go, that feels um, really personal, intimate, um, and gross, and bloody, and irreversible. And so is the removal of sin. It is personal. It is intimate. It is gross. It is bloody. It is irreversible. When you give God your heart, that's precisely what he does. He cuts off from you that which was keeping you from him in a way that now identifies you as his. And you didn't have the power to do that. You couldn't make yourself stop sinning. You couldn't free yourself from sin. You couldn't run from it enough. You couldn't love him more on your own. You had to just admit bending your will, not your affections, not your feelings, your will. I will myself to say, God, I have to give you everything. And he removes it from me. And he did that through the act of Jesus Christ, who was cut off from God as sin for us, a bloody removal so that we would not have to be removed from God. And through that symbol of Christ, we are now God's covenant people. We get to say yes to the proposal of God, and we get to have a heart that can finally love him, because you can't until you give it to him. And so I'd plead with you today, don't, don't walk out of here with a half-hearted covenant, because it's no covenant at all. Leave today. That's what, that's what Moses says next. He goes, listen, I told you a minute ago, you can't do it. But when you give God your heart, like you, you can now. If you believe this, that God's done this for you, verse 11, he says, this commandment's not too hard for you. It's not so far off, you can't get it. It's not in heaven, it's not in the depths. Verse 14 says, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so that you can do it, which seems like a weird thing to say. It's in your mouth and in your heart. But thankfully, Paul makes it really clear in Romans 10, verse 9. 
Actually, I'll start with verse 8. But what does it say? That's what Moses said. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With a heart, one believes and is justified right away. You want to know how this works, how the word makes us able to love God? You believe God's word. You believe the promise keeper who gave you his word. You believe that God has made you for a relationship with him. And when in your heart you say, God, I see that you brought me here. I see you want a relationship with me. And I see what's standing between me and you is me being on the throne of my life. You say, I believe Jesus died on the cross. So I put my will on the cross to put Jesus on the throne. It's what Jesus modeled, right? Not my will, but your will be done. I'll put my will on the cross so your will can be accomplished. That's what we do inside of our deepest will. I'm putting me on the cross, sacrificing me, and you are now the one that's on the throne. Your will be done. And when you do that, you are justified in your heart because God brought you to that point and saved you and loved you. And then you are saved because your confession is, it's not by my strength or my goodness or my church attendance or any of those other things. My confession is, Jesus Christ has paid the price for me to belong to God. That is where God saves you. That's where God gives you a new heart. That's where this starts. Loving God starts there. And I want to be really clear. It's not in the specific words that you say or any of those things. It is in your heart. This has to be real. And that's what I would plead with you. You go through the rest of chapter 30, and Moses says, that's what I call you to today. I put before you life and death, good and evil. Choose life. That's what the text says. Choose life. If your heart, not anybody else's, you don't answer for anybody else's, if your heart still goes after other things, you're going to perish. And you know this now. It's clear you're responsible for it. But if you choose life, you say, God, I, I don't want to perish. I, actually, I want you. I see that you brought me here, and now I'm yours, and I bring my whole heart. And I don't care if you prayed a prayer before, if you got baptized before, if you're in this moment, and you recognize I don't have love for God in my heart because he's never had my heart. Today's your day of salvation. Like, let it be today. That's why he brought you here. There's no shame in that. There is only joy. So that's, that's what I want us to do. We're going to enter into a time of prayer. If you've been there before, today should just renew your love for God. Wow, he loves me. I can't believe he did all of that for me. God, I love you. And I just want to... Spend every day loving you. If you can't say that's true of me, then you have a decision. Moses called his people to it, and God calls us to it. You can choose to walk in the stubbornness of your heart. You can play the game. You can have a half-hearted covenant, which is no covenant at all. Or today, you can recognize, I want to turn and know that God's going to meet me in that. I want a new heart, and I'm going to give God everything that starts in your heart, I would encourage you to express it through prayer. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. If you are a believer, this is your moment to celebrate with joy. If you are convicted that you have never actually been in that relationship right now where you're at, I would ask you to pray and tell God what you now believe in your heart and let him give you a new one.
give your life to Jesus for the first time today, that you would be his and he would be yours. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to our podcast. We hope that you've been encouraged and challenged to take steps closer to Jesus. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, share with your friends. It really does make a difference. And lastly, make sure to follow us on all of our social media at FBC Jinx to keep up with all that's going on in the life of our church. Again, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.